0: Picture this a dark medieval world filled with political intrigue, supernatural forces, and a protagonist with a mysterious past. Vagrant Story isn't just a game, it's a cinematic experience that grabs you by the pixels and immerses you in a narrative so captivating it'll leave you questioning the very fabric of its twisted reality. So, how did a visionary game designer weave together a tale so complex and enthralling? Well, today, we're going to look back at Vagrant story and the career of its creator, Yatsumi Mitsuno. As part of that story, we'll look back at some of the other games that led up to the creation of Vagrant story, including the Ogre Battle series and Final Fantasy Tactics. So whether you're a seasoned player who has traversed the haunted halls of Leomon, or someone curious about the origins of this cult classic, you're in for a treat. Grab your favorite gaming snack, adjust your headphones, and take a risk in joining us for today's trip on memory card lane good morning good afternoon and good evening i hope these words find you well hello and welcome ...to the 180th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we'll tell you a story relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, or the people who've created it. It can be about a console, and the technology that has brought it to life. We are looking each week at interesting video game topics that are tied to the current week in gaming history. That's how it works. While telling you each story, we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the world as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world in its legacy this week we're going to teach you all about Vagrant story the action role playing game published by Square in february of 2000 yes yes we are i'm david cassen and as always i'm joined by my co-host who is a bit of a vagrant himself he's my brother rob cassen rob you know, I don't think vagrants are welcome at many places. So I assume that you've been like shooed out of some place recently. Where was the last place that they kicked you out of?
1: Foot Locker, Dave.
0: You got kicked out of Foot Locker. Well, they shooed me away. Oh my god, that one! I did not. How did I not?
1: How did I not? How indeed, Dave. Fantastic! I. I guess I walked into that one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're getting it. <laughs> uh, you know what they say: with the shoe fits. So yeah, what
0: what does this week in gaming history look like?
1: Well, Dave, in February of '83 and '84, Fireworld and Waterworld, two of the games in the Sword Quest series, were released to the world. If you don't know the Sword Quest series, it was a series of video games through which players could enter a contest and win actual prizes. We covered it back in episode 127, so go check it out if you're not familiar. Do you remember,
0: like, it was like the encrusted sword and the jeweled the chalice. chalice. yeah,
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's one of our listeners actually was talking to me and found pictures of the, the rewards and everything, and uh, we, we definitely talked about that, so that's that's a hard one to forget. That one,
0: that, like the pimp I mean... cup. Yeah, the pimp. Oh, man, the pimp cup. The pimp cup is fantastic.
1: Oh, it sure was.
0: And then just to think that, like, where are they? That's part of the fun story, huh? Where are they? Hmm, I wonder. Go listen to the episode. Where's the pimp cup now?
1: Indeed, Dave. Go give it a listen. Find out where it is. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So in February, <coughs> excuse me. February 10th of 1988, Dragon Warrior 3 was released for the Nintendo Famicom adding to the story started in dragon quest one and two in 1989 35 years ago the og city builder sim city was released and on that we look back at it on episode 75 so give that one a listen if you'd like to learn more about that one
0: 35 years of sim city
1: got that right dave man i still remember
0: the original sim city that was fantastic
1: You know, I don't know if I remember the original. I definitely have played. I think it was 2000. But yeah, they're they're fantastic games. And speaking of Sims, 24 years ago in February of 2000, The Sims was released to the world, laying the groundwork for a franchise that has captivated millions of gamers around the world, even to this day. And coincidentally, in episode 23, We look back on the architectural and psychological theories that inspired its development. So a little before our history time, but if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go give that episode a listen.
0: That's right. We've
1: covered a lot of games this week in gaming history. Well, Dave, that happens when you cover this week in gaming history. (laughs) For sure. In 96, a game we only briefly talked about last week, Bahamut Lagoon, was released for the Super Nintendo. In 2003, Unreal 2 The Awakening, the final game for Legend Entertainment, was released to the world. Okay. In February 2009, From Software decided to unleash countless hours of punishment onto the world. And that was when they released Demon Souls. Did you play Demon Souls? Not Demon Souls. Always the dark, never the demon.
0: You've never gone back that far, huh?
1: I have not, no, but it is definitely on my list of games that once I can figure out a way to play it, I will. But Backlog, yay. Yay. And two years ago, Dave, was your favorite game. What was that? I Love Finding More Cats.
0: Oh, that's... Yes.
1: That's okay. All right. And for those who don't know, this game found on Steam is a hidden object game asking players to find even more cats that are hidden through over 20 lavish, illustrated backgrounds. Okay. And in their Steam review, one player praised the game, saying that it's easy to imagine that you're on a cat-finding vacation. So, you know, it's basically Dave's house.
0: It's it's very much my house. Cat-finding... It sure is. Cat-finding vacation every day.
1: And that game is easy to play when you got so many, days. That's right. But that'll do it for a brief-looking gaming history. I'm going to throw it back to you, Dave. Let's tell everyone about Vagrant Story.
0: The earliest game that Yatsumi Matsuno recalls playing was either Pac-Man or Xevious while well, he was waiting for the train to get to high school. To blow off Steam in college... He often found himself going to arcades to play Gradius, and it was during that time that the Nintendo Famicom was becoming increasingly popular. So Matsudo found himself a part-time job, he bought himself a Nintendo Famicom, he bought himself The Legend of Zelda, and Dragon Quest, and became pretty much a lifelong fan of video games like the rest of us. After a series of unfulfilling jobs, he finally decided to go into video game development in 1989 when he joined a video game company called the Quest Corporation. Now at Quest, he was first assigned to the role of planner for a 2D action platform game that was called The Conquest of the Crystal Palace. uh, Or just Conquest of the Crystal Palace. It released in 1990. Conquest of the Crystal Palace was a decent game. It's a fairly straightforward platformer. It's got a few neat things to it. There's a store to buy items. And power-ups. The story is kind of told through a... So to speak, like, newscast presentation. Like you visit a shop in between levels, and you can buy power ups, and then there's like a newscast that you watch on a TV screen that helps, that helps progress the story. So, um, yeah. He joins Quest. He basically goes, conquers the Crystal Palace, gets introduced at Quest to computers, Amiga computers, PC computers. Um, plays Ultima online, plays a bunch of things, like strategy games, things like that, um, and and really starts to shape what he's going to work on for time to come. So the team at Quest gets then split into two projects. Uh, one is an action game, and the other was a team that Matsuno was assigned as the head he was he was chosen to head up the design on the second team and what he pitched was a real time tactical video game now this was a genre that i mean was uncommon at the time i mean i would venture it's still uncommon today there are not very many real time tactical role playing games to this day. But, you know, we now have a whole history of the genre and back then it was virtually unheard of, especially outside of PC gaming, to be honest with you. So, so that's what he decided he wanted to do, a real-time tactical game. His idea was that he wanted to compete against Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy as a role-playing game, but with systems in place that were completely different to them he didn't want to be a clone of them he liked the storytelling he liked the role-playing but he wanted to be completely different otherwise he was inspired by world events Metsuno throughout his entire career is very much inspired by current events in the case of ogre battle The war in Yugoslavia was going on at the time. The Yugoslav Wars were a series of ethnic conflicts that started in 1991. And Matsuno wrote this sweeping high fantasy epic between nations. It was like a battle, the ultimate battle for good and evil, basically. And it you know it's it's this kind of stuff. You know, you have kingdoms competing for one another and and you know basically that same that same concept of one empire wanting to snuff out another. So in his mind, this game was going to be the fifth fifth number five, fifth chapter in a seven chapter what he called Ogre Battle Saga. Now, Matsuno was a fan of the classic rock band Queen. And as a fan, he borrowed the names of two songs from their album, Queen 2, combining them to title the game. Now, Ogre Battle, the Ogre Battle saga, Ogre Battle itself is one of the names. It's, it's the name of one of their songs on that album. And the other is the March of the Black Queen. So this game became Ogre Battle, the March of the Black Queen. So, The March of the Bat Queen is released. It's March of 1993. It's still recognized as one of the better entries in the uh, real-time tactical role-playing genre. That's quite a mouthful. It mixes the movement elements of a real-time tactics game with the character development and the combat of a role-playing game. You know, in this case, there's this wide-sweeping plot There are 13 different endings on the game. You can play through the stages of the game in a different order. Kind of like how you can pick your paths. and like Star Fox is a good way to envision it, Rob. So you can pick your way through the stages. There were hidden stages, depending on choices and stages progression. There were 13 different endings on the game, depending on how you conducted yourself throughout, you know, all these different stages and so on and so forth. So Ogre Battle is a good game. You know, there are publications that place it in their top 50 list for all Super Nintendo games. I mean, it's not one of those games you probably hear about when people are like, my top 10 Super Nintendo games, you know, Um, because it usually fits in like the 40s. But I mean, it's it's in the conversation. It's on the conversation of, of, of Super Nintendo games that are worth, That are worth looking back at, you know? I think even today, if someone had said, I want to make a real-time tactical role-playing game, there would be some question as to how successful it would be, right? Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, I would say so.
0: And that wasn't any different back then. There was a lot of uncertainty as to just how successful that this game was going to be. So Quest only wanted to print about 200,000 copies. Uh, Matsuno persuaded them to print double that number, and what do you know? They sold through all 400,000 copies of Ogre Battle very quickly. And as if that wasn't bad enough, the plan over here in North America was even worse. The North American publishing rights were given to Enix, and Enix only planned on printing 25,000 copies. And they did only print 25,000 copies, And those 25,000 copies quickly sold out. And then they printed 25,000 more, and they sold out. And 25,000 more, and they sold out. The North American version of the first Ogre Battle has had several reprintings um, over the years. And of course, it's commercially successful, right? So most commercially successful games spawn sequels. So that, of course, is logically where the story goes from here. Tactics Ogre was the next game in the series. It's called Tactics Ogre Clinging Clinging to Life or something like that. Uh, It's just Tactics Ogre to me. That was released for the Super Nintendo in October of 1995. Whereas the original Ogre Battle was a real-time tactical game, Tactics Ogre is a traditional tactical role-playing game. It Swaps the view. It's now like an isometric quarter view. It adopts a turn based battle system that masuno says was inspired by chess. It has another sweeping high fantasy story, you know, in the series. And they churned it out. It was another commercially successful title. But its development cycle was far from ideal. The game took two and a half years to for the team to develop, and it said that the management structure at Quest, the Quest Corporation, was just it was trash. It was terrible. And the longer that Matsuno worked there in that management structure, the more frustrated he got. Day after day after day he just got increasingly frustrated. So during the development of Tactics Ogre, he decided that he was going to leave the Quest Corporation. But, as part of that decision, decided that he would also, at the very least, finish the game first. So, across town, I don't even know if it's across town, I don't know where they were, but let's just assume across town. Over at Square, Final Fantasy series creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi... Is a fan of tactical role playing games. No doubt that Ogre Battle is among them. In 1993, some years earlier, he conceives the idea of creating a tactical Final Fantasy game. But it was something that he could never bring to fruition because he was, as we know, very heavily involved with the main final fantasy series right he didn't get to he didn't get to stop making final fantasy video games in the main series until after 7 cuz i think that's when he went to the movie side of things for spirits within but up until that you know he was the guy he was the final fantasy guy you know that main series was insanely popular and square was churning out version after version after version thank god we love them so he never really got to make this offshoot that he wanted to make. You know, Matt Suno recalls looking up to people like Shigeru Miyamoto, to people like Yuji Hori, and to of other people, Hironobu Sekaguchi. As you know, he in one interview he claimed these were my heroes when I was a child, which is funny to think of. You know, these were all people that he wanted to be just like. So he's going through this stressful period where he's making Tactics Ogre and he's frustrated with the Quest Corporation. And he's making Tactics Ogre, but he's also planning what's next. And during this period, he hears that Square is hiring. So he goes and he takes her entrance entrance exam you know here's a chance to work for square heard nothing but good things about him Sekiguchi is the man i've always wanted to work with hironobu uh, this is this is my job this is what this is the dream right so he takes the entry test and he is offered a position at the company so they finish tactic ogres and he goes over to square and almost immediately like he's getting wind of projects that are out 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 there and he hears about the fact that Sekaguchi wants to make a tactical Final Fantasy game. And he goes, ooh, 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 I have a history of tactical RPG games. Let me, let me. Of course, Sekaguchi's a fan. So, sure. You know, here. Here's my six-page design document of a tactical Final Fantasy game. Have at it. So Matsuno brings several of his team members from Quest, who are also unhappy, over to Square. And they all start work on a tactical entry in the Final Fantasy series. Right off the bat, Matsuno decides that he wants to make a tactical RPG that is, let's say, more accessible to the masses. This is something that, in hindsight, he has felt that he really failed to accomplish with his ogre battle titles. They are big, sweeping, complex games. Um, and that that is that turns off a lot of people. So he wanted to par that back for a tactical Final Fantasy and really invite more people into this genre that he's, you know really great at creating games in. And while figuring out how to make it more accessible, the team decides that instead of controlling armies and units, that they're going to focus on individual character growth the same way that the main final fantasy series focuses on individual character growth. You know, it, it, it's no longer an army based simulation. It is an individual role playing game. So Matsuno starts working on a scenario And he starts working on game systems. But there's a staff shortage realistically beyond that. And so for much of what's else, he's forced to pass off that work to other people. One of the things that he's forced to pass off is the battle system. And the battle system goes to Hiroyuki Ito, who was the director of Final Fantasy VI, which we just talked about in Final Fantasy VII, episode a few episodes back, so Ito, the director of Final Fantasy VI, gets assigned to what's now the Final Fantasy Tactics team. Ito, for those that don't know that we've talked about, Ito is the creator of the Active Time Battle system that is that was invented by Final Fantasy that has been used in pretty much all the Final Fantasy games. It's it's that system battle system is what they're best known for. And he created it. And funny enough. Ito is not fond of tactical RPGs. He finds them complex. He finds them boring. He does not like the genre in any way, shape or form. So for him, Final Fantasy Tactics is an opportunity to change that for someone. Right. he, wants to design a battle system and contribute to the project in a way that makes that genre appeal to him. Less boring, so to speak. Rob, do you ever play have you ever played any tactical role playing games?
1: Um, I mean, I've played definitely like tactical games. We have done Zerg Rush, but it's not really an RPG, I don't think. No,
0: no te- i mean any like role-playing games that are more like l- let's take the original notion of the genre like army based or unit based stuff like that isn't
1: command and conquer
0: no 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 what's that uh mount bladed bladed and bladed and mount mountain blade what's that Bannerlords, Bannerlords, right uh mountain blade banner lords isn't that, is that
1: considered a tactic
0: isn't that ha- well? So total war. We t- we did an episode on the total war series. Total war is kind of a tactical real time strategy game. Um, I think that's what Bannerlord or Mountain Blade is too, isn't it? More like a strategy game that's tactical. I've never, I mean, pl- I've I, never, I've never played it. You're gonna have to help me out with what it is.
1: I don't, I don't really think. I guess when I think tactical, I think of games like Command and Conquer and. Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's Halo literally like, stuff. it's literally, so So in the case for this genre, tactical is literally like, it, it's literally like a chess board. You have, you have a, you have a poly, like a, a square base, like a checkerboard, you know, each, think of, think of it as like sieve. Each square is a different spot that you can move to. How about Rabbids, Rabbids, um, Mario versus Rabbids for the switch. You play those?
1: Nope. God dog it. I don't so, think I've ever played any in the genre, Dave.
0: Yeah, so you have a square and you move your unit, you know, from one square to the other square, and you take turns attacking one another. That's it's like it's kind of like playing chess, but the battles are like role playing. It's role playing in that your units like gain experience and skills, and and in the case of this game, it had a job system, so like you could be a you know a wizard or a major cleric or something like that, and like you you earn your skills by by practicing your job, so to speak. So,
1: Yeah, I don't think that I've done one like that.
0: Interesting. Not surprised, but you know. So yes, under Matsuno, the game changes significantly from what Sakaguchi had envisioned. In an interview, Sakaguchi admits, he's like, yo, I I handed that dude a five to six page design document. And I don't really see any of these ideas in the final game.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: So, you know, Matsuno took the idea that Sekaguchi had to make a tactical Final Fantasy, and he made it his own. You know, he designed a new world, the world of uh, Ivelisse. It's the same world that they revisited in Final Fantasy XII. And some expansions for 16. Don't hold me to that. I think it's 16. Whatever the, not the first massively multiplayer Final Fantasy, but the second one. I think the first was 12, 11. I think it was 11 and 16. Any input there? Sure. You you don't remember at all the, the MMOs?
1: I didn't play a lot of them, no.
0: Okay. Yes, so he creates this world. He creates this awesome story. I mean, Tactics is a fantastic game. Tactics is a fantastic game. I'm not a fan of the tactical genre. It it, it it's it's a a speed of which I've never been into. But I have Final Fantasy Tactics. I think it's a great game. I have managed to play through it. Um, just in general, it's not my thing. So, but it's a Final Fantasy game. I love Final Fantasy games. Final Fantasy Tactics was successful, releases in June of 1997, it ends up being a successful title, it sells about mm, 2.5 million copies over its lifespan, so of course, it's time to decide what was next, and that, my friends, is why we're here today. So in a development diary of sorts that was released alongside editions of the game, Yatsumi Matsuno wrote, If Final Fantasy is the game industry version of a major Hollywood story, then Vagrant Story is an independent movie waiting to be watched quietly in a small movie theater. And so in the same way that we can kind of perceive independent movies as smaller affairs, we can kind of look at Vagrant Story in the same light. So, you know, Matsuno starts out with having his players control entire armies in Ogre Battle series and that gives way to a party of individuals in the Final Fantasy Tactics series and that gives way to the power of an actual individual here in Vagrant Story you are playing a real time action RPG i mean it's it's you move around in the maps i mean it has a little like you know how Fallouts has VATs where you can target body parts, like pause the action and target body parts? Yeah. That's how the battle system in Vagrant Story works. Like you move around in real time, and then when you go to attack a creature, you can you can choose where you want to attack with with um, you know, a specific body part with your weapon, so on and so forth. That's that's exactly how it works. So So you have the individual. Matsuno says that his first concept for Vagrant Story was to have two hours worth of event scenes strewn throughout the game. That's where he started. He knew that he wanted a two hour, what he called Tuesday evening suspense. Created. Right? And he wanted to work a story around it. He originally wanted to create a story that was lighthearted and easy to digest but with that being said Matsuno has never done things easy so while he knew that he wanted to tell a complete story he also knew that he didn't want to draw the conclusions for the player so his idea was that he wanted to create a fragmented narrative it would be one in which players were presented with bits and pieces of information that they would have to weave together into their own narrative. Now he was called out for this, right? Because there's some people that like, they want to be told a story. They don't want to have to deduce anything. And when he was openly criticized for that, his stance was that, well, I mean, y'all love it when they do this type of storytelling in cinema why can't we do it in video games as well? Which is a fair statement. So honestly, it probably should be more common in video games. You know what I mean? Like, video games force you to into the role of like the narr- narrator or the protagonist way more than cinema typically does. And so if there was any genre that would lend itself to putting you in the middle of a story and making you put the pieces together. I would think that video games would be better at it than cinema. You get what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: But again, there's always people that are going to want to, there's always people that are going to want to be, have things fed to them. So, so Matsuna said he started out wanting to make a light-headed, a light-headed, lightheaded, lighthearted story. But, it's Suno. He creates epic, sweeping fantasies of nations against nations. And Vagrant Story is no different. He ended up with a pretty complex story. In, a, in an interview, he noted that for Vagrant Story, because each of his games, there is like a personal theme to them, right? There is something that is going on in his life at the time that he has brought into he had brought into everything. So like Final Fantasy Tactics was has the jobs. You know, there is a theme throughout that game that is that exists everything exists within a class based society that has nobles and commoners. And his idea for that came from his time at Square. When he first joined Square there were individuals there that we don't need to name that were treated like royalty. You know, they had the talent, they had social capital. They, you know, he doubted that someone who didn't have those gifts, who didn't have that talent and social capital, he doubted that someone who didn't have them would even be successful there, no matter how hard they tried. So a recognition of that like social hierarchy You know, he came up with the theme of a class-based society that ended up in the story of Final Fantasy Tactics. In Vagrant's story here, he said that he had experienced personally the way in which information and facts can change so dramatically depending on who is conveying that information. Everyone interprets things in a way that is most favorable to their own circumstances. And he wanted that theme that everyone interprets ways you know, things in a way that's favorable to the circumstances. He wanted that theme to be the very structure of the story to Vagrant story. So that became the core of the story he came up with. So it's
1: like no, depending on who you talk to, they would twist the story so that it fits their narrative.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so let me tell you this. I, I will I will take a step back. So Vagrant story follows a single protagonist. Uh, his name is Ashley Riot, and he's part of you know the the uh, a group of knights that are pursuing a cult leader, and they pursue them into a series of ruins, and and then you get this whole you know backstory, backstabby. This person does this. This person. It, it's it's fantastic. I. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this right off the bat. I forgot. I forgot. How great this game was. I'm not even going to pretend. I'm not even going to pretend that I remembered. I forgot how great this game was. It's. But I will say this. I never got into it. When it first came out. And I realize why that is now. So. The battle systems and everything in this game are incredibly complex. It has you know, I mentioned it has a fighting system kinda like Vats, right? Right. But the weapons also have the weapons also have their like they have their own like oh god, what's the word I'm looking for? like their own abilities, their own status ailments, you know, and the more you use a weapon on a certain type of enemy, the more it gains infinity to that type of enemy and the less strength it gains against other enemy types. So you have to kind of be careful and you have to be aware at what weapons you use where, because if you overuse a weapon, you know, towards one enemy type, you will find yourself severely lacking in having a weapon for another enemy type. Does that make sense?
1: One more time, Dave.
0: Nah, we're not going to do that one again. Okay. We're not going to do that. Think about, let's go, let's take yours, Pokemon. If every time they used a Pokemon, like a lightning Pokemon, and it, you know, it grew stronger and stronger and stronger towards lightning, but it's, you know, like a lightning Pokemon might still be a little bit, a little bit okay against like a physical Pokemon, right? Just like a base one. Yeah. Just think that the stronger he geared towards lightning, the less he would be towards physical until at some point he would have no ability to fight a physical Pokemon whatsoever.
1: Okay. So So definitely different.
0: It pulls you in a direction to the extreme to where it loses all effectiveness against others.
1: Kind of like an infantry that's designed for taking down other infantry as opposed to a tank. You can either gear it towards taking down tanks, which, I mean, you might be able to shoot a rocket at an infantryman, but, you know, it's not as guaranteed. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's a way no, thing, but I guess no,
0: that's it. But the thing of it is, is the game really doesn't do a great job of, of teaching you about the system. that's a that's one thing that people criticize it for. So it's really possible that you like, you don't know this until it's too late and it makes the game more difficult than it needs to be because it didn't allude to that. Does that, you get what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: And I think I got lost in that when I was playing this back in 2000 as a, however old I would have been, what, 16? You know, teenager because you don't know that, but now having the internet and, and guides and stuff in front of you where it's, it spells out things and everything. I found this game much more enjoyable. Uh, one thing that it is, is it is fantastic. Like it's presentation. That's one of the things that they want it to be. It, it, Matsuno talks sometimes about wanting to make movies at one time. And if there's any game in his repertoire, that is so obvious that he wanted to be a filmmaker. This is it. Like it, it. Dude even the beginning is exciting. Like this game starts out super exciting. You're like in the middle of action. And the castle's burning down. And you're trying to chase down this cult leader. And like it, it does a fantastic job of laying out the scenario. And laying out the characters. And it just throws you into the action. Which was not common for a role playing game. Right? A lot of role-playing games... I mean, let's be fair, Final Fantasy VII kind of did it with the train sequence, but a lot of role-playing games kind of start you out in that like that little village, and then something happens, and the bad guy comes to town. You know?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that it's definitely a good uh, storytelling aspect to do that attention grab right at the beginning. Because if a person's undecided, that hook could be what gets them to keep going. Yeah, for sure. So...
0: We kind of talked about this last week when we did our Final Fantasy Seven episode, and this concept's coming up again. You know, this is very early on in the development cycle for the PlayStation, right? They're starting to make this, I think, in, I mean, the game comes out in 2000, but they're making this in, like, 97, 98, and that's still that's still a couple years into the PlayStation development cycle and they're still kind of they're all starting to they're all learning how to transition into 3D development that's the point i'm trying to make all these game developers you know this is the the PlayStation era from 94 to 2000 you know, because 2001 would have been PlayStation 2 era when PlayStation 2 came out. The PlayStation era for game development is very much one of transition, right? You know, prior to that in the 16-bit era, we had 2D graphics and were sprite. And the PlayStation brought in 3D graphics. And that was new for everyone. So the PlayStation era is when many game developers learned how to do 3D development. And that is no different here in Vagrant Story, every member of this team had yet to touch 3D development. They all learned it as part of this process, and Matsuno recalls the summer of 1998 when Metal Gear Solid comes out. Right, and Metal Gear Solid, he, he experienced what he calls the Metal Gear shock. He says it was stunning the high level of sensibility of that game, and the quality of gameplay. Vagrant Story wouldn't be released for another year, but it Metal Gear Solid made, it, made us all buckle down and realize the challenge we face. And we were forced to add a new variety of things to the game, one of which was facial expressions to our characters, because we realized then that we couldn't we didn't want their emotions to be conveyed only with movements and speech. Facial expressions were a lot of work, but after seeing Metal Gear Solid, they were absolutely necessary. And we were refining that concept to the very end of development. So. I remember Metal Gear Solid 2. That, that pushed all of us, you know. Right. So, you know, he makes the story and the scenario gets passed over to the, the graphics team who is learning 3D development And, you know, they started out with a very cartoony style, and then they decided that as Matsuno's story started to take a very dark tone, because it's a very dark story, the art style got darker to reflect that. It's a very moody art style that aged very well, might I remind you. I like the art style in this game. Much of the game takes place in ruins, like the ruins of a castle. So, in order to like model the ruins of the castle, the team went to southern France, um, and they visited Le Mans. That might be what where the game takes. They visited ruins in southern France to model Le Mans, and they got to do that, which was a lot of fun. And then they just worked through it. You know they they talk a lot about how difficult it was to get into three D design you know when you're making 3d models and you're modeling polygons like a lot of the the sequences in the game you know how final fantasy did like pre-rendered stuff like backgrounds and all that yeah this game does polygons for the background and the characters and all the cutscenes are in the engine right and so they talk about the difficulty of having to create 3d models that aren't missing polygons because they don't know from what angle they're going to be seen, and so there's guys who spent hours having to view all these three D models from all angles to make sure that there weren't any polygons missing, just in case the camera caught them at a cer- certain angle, you know.
1: Hmm.
0: But they they went through it. They they went to you know they went to France. The town was Saint Emilion to model the this the ruins of the game which are called Lemon. You know, they made dungeons and they made all this these great characters and they just they made a fantastic game, honestly. It's I think it's it's a very underrated game. Most people wouldn't know about it and it's 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 great. And I forgot how great it was until I said not only did I sit down to like let's say, play the game. I watched playthroughs of it, and I sat through like a four-hour retrospective that someone on YouTube did about the game, which, you know, that's a lot of time.
1: <laughs> a little bit, Dave. So,
0: but yeah, they made all these 3D models, and they figured out how to make it work in the memory limitations of, you know, the game. They had There was stuff they had to cut left and right, you know, it's got a lot of systems, but there were game mechanics. There were systems that they had to cut because of memory limitations, and and yeah, they they did it fantastic. They they focused on maintaining a great frame rate. They focused on hiding CD load times in the middle of like dialogue sequences, so players wouldn't really know that the the CD was accessing data at the time, uh, and they just created an fantastic game all together they it's a great game and it's got a fantastic story and speaking of interesting stories have you ever considered starting your own podcast but just don't know where to start do all the different options confuse you are you concerned about the complexity of having to record your podcasts on this software and then build you know drop it into this other software to edit it and then pop it onto this website to you know distribute it to all these different websites i mean it sounds like a lot but it doesn't have to be because we have a simple solution for you thanks to the all-in-one podcasting suite of tools offered by our friends at zencaster
1: with zencaster it's super easy to record a podcast Everyone logs in using their web browser, and you just start recording a high-quality podcast right away. It allows you to record up to 4K video with your guests. And with ZenCaster's multi-layered backups, you always have the highest quality recordings, even if the connection is unstable.
0: And with ZenCaster, you never have to worry about what you sound like. Their post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It removes all those ums and ahs, gets rid of all those awkward pauses for you. You can set the right podcast loudness. You can get rid of background noise. Uh, You can do all of this. It's, you know, a couple options in a menu and a single click of a button.
1: And if the thought of podcasting overwhelms you because you think you need tons of different tools and services, relax. Those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations.
0: So if you'd like to start your own podcast or maybe you already have one and you're looking to take it to the next level, we've got a deal for you. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use the code MemoryCardLane and you'll get 30% off the first month of any Zencaster paid plan.
1: Sign up for Zencaster today and you can experience the same ease in producing your own high quality podcast as we do each week. So
0: vagrant story gets... Finished and released to the world in February of 2000. It so sells about 100,000 copies in the first 20 days of its release, which is, mm, you know, there's a lot of other Square titles going on. Chrono Cross had been released a little bit sooner. Final Fantasy 9 is released just afterwards. It it honestly gets released in the shadow of a lot of you know what are generally now probably more popular and well received games, but Vagrant Story was was critically received very well. You know the Japanese magazine, kind of the the most widely respected Japanese magazine Famitsu. They gave it a perfect forty. That's how they rate. They rate it from one games from one to forty. They gave Vagrant Story a perfect forty. It was only the third game. In their, the history of the magazine. And currently one of like 29 games to date. 30. Actually 30 now. Um, that have ever gotten a perfect score. Because they gave one in January of this year. So it's now 30 games that have gotten a perfect score. So the critics loved it. Critics thought it was a. I mean for all purposes that's a perfect game. You know. and 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 they loved that about it. I don't know. In hindsight, it's kind of a cult classic. I don't think it's as popular as some of the others. It eventually became a Sony greatest hit. You know, their greatest hits, their ultimate hits, so it sold well enough for that. But I think in hindsight, it's kind of a cult classic these days. I mean, most of Matt Suno's games are are cult classics, you know. The Ogre Battles, the Final Fantasy Tactics, and Vagrant Story. They're all kind of games that aren't, I don't feel, are entirely mainstream. But they're all Games that are well loved by their fan base for sure. After Vagrant Story, Matsuno, along with a lot of other employees at Square, they were all kind of recruited to work on Square's online gaming service, the one that supports their, you know, multi, massively multiplayer online games and, you know, their games that are live service games. It's called Play Online. After Play Online was released, I think in 2001 he was tapped to be the producer for final fantasy tactics advance for, you know, the game boy advance. What else would it be for?
1: Um,
0: he was then reunited with Hiroyuki Ito and asked to direct final fantasy 12. Again, you know, they revisited the same world that they created for final fantasy tactics. Um, so as the creator of said world, Matsuno was tapped to develop the concept and the plot For Final Fantasy XII. And you know the new installment in the mainline Final Fantasy series. But the development of this one. Was not great for Matsuno. He was reported to be moody and temperamental. In the midst of the development of Final Fantasy XII. um, You know. Hironobu Sakaguchi. Had left what was now Square Enix. In the fallout of the commercial failure of his Final Fantasy Spirits Within movie, you know, he had switched over to the movie development, kind of put all his eggs in that basket. And when that movie commercially failed, you know, he kind of lost all that, like, social clout that he had in the company. So he left Square Enix. You know, once he completely resigned from Square Enix, I believe that would have been, like, 2003, he founded a company called Mistwalker. And this is all going on as Matsuno and Ito are developing Final Fantasy XII. And so when Sakaguchi leaves to go for Mistwalker, there were a lot of people who had a lot of respect for him still. Even you know, even though the movie failed, they still had a lot of respect for him. And so they left to go work at Mistwalker, um, including a large chunk of the team on Final Fantasy XII. Uh, as the story goes, Matsuno was so fed up and frustrated with the situation that he refused to come into work for about a month after that group of employees left the Final Fantasy XII project. Damn. So in August of 2005, it was officially announced that he had stepped down as director of the game. Uh, The reason given was a prolonged illness. You know, he ended up leaving Square Enix altogether. If you look online, there's all sorts of speculation as to what had happened. But the general consensus is that he was just burnt out or suffering from some sort of mental episode and needed to bow out. And he kind of took a break for a few years. You know, he, he took a break, just completely bowed out of game development. In 2008-ish, let's say, he was tapped by a friend at Platinum Games to help write uh, the scenario for their hack and slash title called Mad World, which came out in 2009. And this brought him back into the game development fold. He, after working on Mad World, was asked afterwards to rejoin the a team at Square Enix. Uh, that team was working on a remat, remake of his would have been his third game, Tactics Ogre, because um, he had Crystal Palace and then Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre. So they were working on a remake of Tactics Ogre. Um, After that was finished, he found a job with Level 5. Uh, He was impressed by their work on the Professor Layton series, which we've covered in a previous episode. At Level 5, he worked on a fantasy RPG for them called Crimson Shroud, which was released for the Nintendo 3DS. He left afterward to go work, actually, with Sakaguchi at Mistwalker. Uh, He was given... I think planning on an iOS role-playing title called Terra Battle, um, and after that, he started his own company called uh, the Algebra Factory, if I remember correctly. And they were doing like planning, design, writing, because that was his his you know that's his bread and butter. And as part of that, he was asked to return to Abelis. I mean, quite literally. That's just, I'm probably butchering that the whole time. I like Evilese. Maybe it's Evilice? Ivalis? I should have really. I don't
1: know, it. Dave. Your guess is as good as mine on that one.
0: Anyways, he was asked to return to that world. That's literally the name of the scenario that he wrote for an, inspa- an expansion pack to Final Fantasy XIV. So it was eleven and fourteen were the MMOs. Uh, that inspection pack was called Stormblood. And then he was also asked to work on a storyline for a later expansion called Shadowbringers. And that kind of brings us to his most recent release, which was that little Tactics Ogre remake that he did, you know, right when he kind of got back into game development. Uh, They remade that, they remastered it for the Switch, and that was called Tactics Ogre Reborn. And that was released for the Switch in November of 2022. And I don't really, I couldn't really find anything that indicated what he's up to right at this moment other than what the interwebs thinks is going on. And the interwebs thinks that he is working on a currently unannounced Final Fantasy Tactics remaster. So we shall see if that's the case,
1: right? That we shall, Dave.
0: So, but, you know, he's had his hands in a lot of, a lot of stuff, you know, and, There have been a lot of, I mean, not just this game, but a lot of other games that have come out during this week in gaming history. We talked a bunch about them in the beginning, like the Sword Quest series, SimCity, The Sims. Um, What else did we talk about? Uh, We did a Dark Souls episode. I talked about Demon's Souls, but we did a Dark Souls episode. And of course, if you ever want to check out our old episodes and learn about the stories of any of these games... Um, maybe the final fantasy series which we've talked about now in multiple episodes you can go check out our old episodes at www.memorycardlane.com rob what else can people do on our website
1: well dave people can find a calendar of our future episodes of topics that we are going to be covering you can find a link to our discord where you can talk games or whatever else you have in mind with dave and i you can find a link to our Patreon where you can help support us and have access to ad-free and edited, unedited versions of our episodes. And you can also find a link to our social media where I am on several platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave.
0: I can be found on various platforms as David is wrong. Each week, we tell you a story relevant to the current week in gaming history. We've got a game, a console, a technology, just some topic that I've deemed relevant to this week and while well, doing so we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the game as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world as its legacy when we look at a new topic week in and week out we obviously do research on it and the whole goal of my research is to kind of find new and interesting things that i don't know about that i think that you the listeners, probably don't know about either and that's the best part about doing this is i learn new things every week so in recognition of my favorite part of the process, which is learning new things. We talk about that every single week. So, Rob, what did you learn today?
1: Well, Dave, I learned a lot about a game that I didn't know about. And clearly from our earlier conversation, a series that or uh, a genre that I have not played much of myself. So it's a whole lot of things, but I think it's really cool that uh, there's he took such a storytelling aspect with this, but let the player also kind of come to their own conclusions with the story by leaving certain things out and not just feeding it to them. You kind of had to think through things and kind of be like, well, hey, you know, how do I take this? What, what, how do I affect my actions based on what I'm being told by certain people? True. So I think that's a cool concept. And I mean, we have seen that in other games. If you ask me them off the top of my head, I'm not going to be able to name them, but I know I have seen that concept in other games. And it's just it's a cool concept because, you know, a lot of games you're just told, hey, go here, do this. This is what's going on. And that's the side of things you always hear. You never get the other side of things and like, hey, you know, maybe this dude trying to take over is actually because his family lost the rights to that 200 years ago. And he's trying to reclaim his family's namesake. And we look at him as the bad guy because Well, we happen to come upon this town of who we deem the good people that are just being invaded. True. So I think that's a really cool concept. And, uh, you know, clearly it played out well for this game. And it's just it's really cool to know that that something like this started. And it's again in a RPG tactics game. To just have a full narrative like that, you know, most of the time it's just here's your tactics, just win. But then there's a narrative behind it. It just adds to the whole thing. So. That's really cool. Yep. How about yourself? You
0: know, Matsuno was a new figure for me. I I feel like I know a lot of game developers and their stories are at least a game in their library. But I didn't know any game in his library. I at least recognize that he was designer in any of the game in the library. I am familiar, maybe not with the Ogre Battle series, but Final Fantasy Tactics for sure. Vagrant Story for sure. Nothing really after that that he's done, to be honest with that. But, I mean, it's sometimes weird when you put two and two together, if that makes sense. And also, the thing, like, there's lots to Matsuno we can talk about. Like, it's impressive to make a game that gets a perfect score for Famitsu, right? Like, it's really impressive. The games that did it before that were, I think, Soul, Caliber, and... What was the first one? Oh, Ocarina of Time. Like, you know, this this ga- this magazine starts publishing in 1986, and it doesn't give its first perfect score in a game till 1998 with Ocarina of Time. In 1999, it gets Soul Calibur and in 2000, it gets Vagrant Story. I mean, there's a whole library of games that I maybe would think of giving perfect scores, right? But no, Vagrant Story is there. But the point of this is, he makes a perfect game, right? He makes a fantastic game. And then just nothing. I mean, I'm not saying the other things he worked on weren't important. Play Online does stuff. And, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, again, niche genre. Final Fantasy XII, which he left in the middle of, he doesn't even, I don't even think he's on the credits for Final Fantasy XII. You know, he, this was his, this was, this is his, like, magnum opus like this is his thing you know and it's almost sad to me a way that for whatever reason all this potential was squandered if that makes sense
1: no absolutely i mean who knows what could have happened if continued on or who knows yep it just leaves a lot to question but you know i mean like you said maybe uh the the new tactics game will come out and we'll see there'll be some revitalization
0: we shall see well rob before i take it into next week is there anything you'd like to add to today's episode
1: as always dave i want to take a quick moment to say thank you so much to all of our listeners it means the world to us to have you here and we hope that you get a little bit of fun and enjoyment out of listening to us ramble about games each week so thank you
0: well folks We've just navigated through the intricate alleys of Vagrant Story, courtesy of the brilliant mind of Yasumi Matsuno. But don't pack up your gaming gear just yet, because we've got another epic adventure lined up for you. Now, I hate to break it to you, but if you thought that Vagrant Story had layers of mystery, wait until we venture into a realm where puzzles reign supreme and mysteries lurk around every corner. That's right, buckle up next week! We're diving headfirst into the enigmatic universe of *Mist Online Uru Live. It's a game where every click, every puzzle, every exploration feels like a step closer to unraveling the secrets of an ancient civilization. So if you've ever been intrigued by the allure of the knee and found yourself or found yourself lost in the maze-like worlds of the *Mist* franchise, you don't want to miss out on our next episode. So join us again next week as we try to unlock their mysteries on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing.
1: Do doo